Ciao. Goladzo back with another fat slice of Syria as Napoli climb higher than a certain manager's eyebrows and Juve are also big winners and Spal, but not Spalletti. We ask, Atalanta, should they be your Italian team? And are Fiorentina back? Sound there of lit fever. Top Florentine funsters enjoying La Viola's opening salvo of their Serie A season, a whopping 6 1 against Chievo. Some weekend in Italy, a weekend that's been enjoyed by James Horncastle. Hello. Who was in Turin. Was. And Richard Hughes, who was probably in Bournemouth, were you this weekend? I was in Zurich actually for my oh. day job, yeah. I wasn't too far away from the, the peninsula, but unfortunately not across the border. What, what, what were you doing in Zurich? I just work. I was at um, two games, Grasshoppers against Sion. Uh, I almost forgot there was a memorable game, and then uh, FC Zurich against Basel on, uh, on a Sunday. So. Right. But scouting. looking at my phone, scouting, yeah, but yeah. looking at my phone and, and keeping up to date with everything happening in, in real football. Right. Serie A. In was, real football. <laughs> <laughs> it was a massive weekend. It was almost as exciting as a Bournemouth game this weekend in City Average. Yeah, that's, almost. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that, that's because uh, you guys are off to a cracking start, haven't you? Seven Jerry? points out of nine into the next round of the cup. So it's uh, it's been a good, which makes a change for us actually. This is uh, the first uh, game of the season against Cardiff. This is the first time in the Premier League we've won our opening fixture. Actually, we've lost the other three years that we were in it. So it'll be interesting to see how we can. Uh, develop the season with a bit of momentum for once. Mm. Or if you want more Bournemouth chat, listener, tune in Thursday to the Totally Football Show because we'll be all about the cherries. Uh, right now, though, let's get back onto the city. 34 goals scored this weekend. Some absolute peaches. Pastore. And Tenucci. Oh, wow. Tenucci! Al volo, col destro, fun goal, meraviglioso, Antenucci. And how about that Torino goal? <laughs> what, the, the Belotti one? Yeah. Grandissimo lancio, Belotti, il controllo, la porta è vuota! Andrea Belotti! Who put that ball up for him? Iago Falke. It was Falke. Yeah. Wow. Um, who's yeah, started the season very well, um, seemed to have his bags packed, was told by Matadi, you're off, go to Sevilla. And he's been Torino's man of the match in both their games against uh, Roma and Inter. But what was Handanovic doing there? He went completely AWOL. It's not been a great start for Inter, uh, but we'll, we'll maybe touch on that in a second or two because there are three teams on top of the table. One of them is Juventus, not surprisingly. You went to their game as usual, James. 2-0. Two, <laughs> yeah. I went to Ronaldo's game right. because uh, Ronaldo is bigger than that club, as uh, <laughs> I've discovered over the last few weeks. And what, what do you mean by that? Well, just in how obsessed everyone is with, uh, with Ronaldo rather than uh, Juventus, really. Um, and his son has now joined their... their under, under nines. Under nines. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, where I think um, Benatia's kid plays okay. as well. I think um, Andrea Pilo, uh, his son, is waiting for a trial with the under-16s. Um, yeah, there's quite a lot of the uh, of the kind of boys of the, of the Juventus players mm. uh, kicking a ball around with, with Juventus' youth teams at the moment. Yeah, it's troubling how everyone's obsessed with Ronaldo. What do you think about his move to, uh, <laughs> to Serie A, Richard? Well, I was surprised, first and foremost, that he... That, that 
that he went and not surprised when I found out some of the perhaps the, the tax connotations about why he may leave well, Spain what, and go to oh I see because yeah, of the I, I, ongoing I think, issues with the well Spanish yeah I think I think the more favourable um, in terms of his image rights and, and, and stuff like that so it's were uh, you much, aware at Bournemouth that he might be available we we, we made a play um, <laughs> but the, the possibilities that Juve were offering were because you've played against him haven't you oh yes yeah so I've got headbutted by him as well so really yeah that's got interesting the circumstances of that sorry the what circumstances uh, okay we were um, uh, I was picking him up from a corner and um, don't know if you know this he's very good in the air and uh, uh, I thought I can't be marking Ronaldo in a straight fight from uh, from a corner um, so the first corner I sort of um, used all my Italian upbringing to try and gain an advantage so like lent into him fell into him so that we didn't have a straight fight it was essentially the ball just sailed over us so the the second corner came in and he knew that uh, this player, not me, didn't know me, he knew this player would be picking me up. So he went to try and push off and I just thrust down his hand and he ended up face to face. And um, as you know, you know when like two players come forward like stags and sort of try and oh, right. meet heads. Rupt. And uh, yeah, yeah and, and I wasn't I wasn't up for this. And um, Steve Bennett was the referee just to her right. And because I didn't make the motion to uh-huh. go closer to Ronaldo, he had to come even further and it Ooh. made it like a sound and it was like it, did, it didn't hurt and I didn't go down but did he get booked he got sent off he ah. got sent off yeah you got Ronaldo sent off yeah and, and with and your dark arts absolutely that's what happened yeah so I uh, brilliant but I mean, smarter this, than this is the so most far. memorable thing that he's done in uh, Juventus so far he, I he, thought you were going to say this yeah, and, and he would have been right it's the most memorable part of my <laughs> he, career he yeah. put Sorrentino in hospital you know in the first right. game uh, with what uh, whiplash broken nose and then again one of the few things he did of note against Lazio was nearly give uh, Wallace a a need of a hip replacement Ooh. injured him sort of um, before Wallace came back on the pitch and actually played very well against Ronaldo. Well, we'll hear more about your your, your defensive on tricks Thursday, later on, again, Richard. Uh, yeah, actually, Chelsea, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, uh, meantime, there were goals scored by other Juventus players. Mm. Uh, a, a wonderful kind of half volley, which you said by, by Pjanic, and then Mandzukic, who, as we said on Monday, had the kind of poor taste to put away a ball that Ronaldo was trying to score with. Uh, one that Ronaldo should have scored with, yeah. and then instead it hit his back leg and bounced up, and, and Mandzukic finished where he couldn't. Mm. Well, 2-0 for Juve. As we were surmising last Thursday, though, the... The best game probably on Saturday was many hundreds of kilometres south at the San Paolo when Napoli took on Milan, Carlo Ancelotti's first game at the San Paolo in the league. For the second week in a row, they faced the top side. Second week in a row, they went behind Richard. Second week in a row, they came back and won. How impressed are you with King Carlo? No, I'm <laughs> impressed. Yeah, a hugely difficult um, act to follow. As experienced and as successful as Ancelotti's been to, to follow Sarri and, and how particular his team were, um, must be amazingly difficult and uh, not been an easy start in terms of uh, the fixtures, especially going down in games as well. Um, I mean, to say the least, it's not the Lazio Milan, the back-to-back games, very difficult going behind in the games. But really good signs that, that they've managed to come back and win both. I think if you look back at what where perhaps Ancelotti was most successful in that Milan team he built, a lot of it was done on, on, on spirit and passion. And, and that Milan team, which lost the Istanbul final against Liverpool would go in incredible runs of form or momentum during games and then the opposite at times has proved in that game or Deportivo La Coruña in the, hmm. in the season before so he seems to be one of those types of managers that galvanises a team over a period of time and it's interesting to see that philosophy or otherwise it may be maybe something maybe not but already transmit itself into this Napoli team in its early days I haven't seen them live because I'm busy watching 
like grasshoppers and see him, but I, I look forward to seeing his, uh, his Netflix. Well, you saw this game live. Did you watch it in the, in the Allianz Stadium? I did watch it. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, as Richard said, to come back uh, from behind, not just as they did against Lazio, but two goals down, they hadn't come back from that kind of deficit in more than seven years. Really? Um, and you could say this was already in the team because I think they recovered 28 points from losing positions last, uh, last season. But um, Sadi was saying as a Chelsea manager only a few weeks ago that in Italy, you know, when teams are 2-0 down, they just stop playing. Well, this Napoli side didn't do that. Um, Torino. Italy, Torino didn't do that. <laughs> Roma. Uh, Roma did not do that. So yeah, um, It was an interesting weekend for that, that quote, which was a, a strange one for him to come out with, but some uh, some terrific goals in that. And also, I think one of the great things about that, that game, um, towards the end, when it was, um, what was 2-2, Ancelotti really went for it and we got to see, not for the first time, but certainly with them all healthy, fit, ready to go, Milik up front, Mertens, Insigne, Cajon, all playing together and his willingness to to play a slightly different way um, than we saw under, under Maurizio Sadi. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Good work for, for Napoli then. Uh, they are top with Juventus and Spal, uniquely with one of your old friends. Rich, is that right? Is that well, no, Filippo Costa is um, a player that used to well, play at Bournemouth for all of three months. Right. Um, he's actually, uh, not, not a, I, was his, I was his boss, James. Uh, I, I helped <laughs> recruit him, so okay. he's a friend of mine. All right. Uh, but no, we, we signed him from Chievo Verona at the time on loan with a view to permanent, never transpired. And uh, when, when someone. Was it did, for a dramatically inflated transfer fee? <laughs> well, at Chievo, it would have been. That's why we didn't uh, exercise the option and let him go back to Chievo. And then he ended up going to Spal on loan and then uh, worked his way. I got promotion last year, so delighted to see him involved again at the weekend and um, yeah, not, that, not that as involved as, as that man Antonucci, Antonucci though, the, yeah, the, the, absolutely the, the, the former Leeds favourite uh, <laughs> so, I, I don't think he was favourite right, uh, former Leeds player <laughs> he was with Massimo Cellino he was Cellino's yeah. favourite yeah. that was a fantastic goal it was a bit like the one that Jekka scored uh, okay. a week ago um, in, in terms of emphatic volley um, style, uh, volley fantastic mm. technique not from Further as out, acute an angle a yeah. bit more straight on um, but and yeah. a lovely curl on it as well. Yeah, and a, and a great ball in from uh, from Lazari, um, their kind of wing back who has been there since Spal were no longer Spal. He was at the club that was called Giacomense, um, which when Spal went out of business, basically the current owner needed to find a club to fuse Spal with so he could get the, let's say, so-called sporting title, the name of the club back. Mm. So Spal kind of absorbed the Giacomense. Giacomense became Spal. And right. then this rise up the leagues... Um, has happened since then and uh, Lazardi's been there right from the bottom to the top right well it's a bizarre story it really is they, they're they busy playing of course at the Dallara because they're redoing their stadium the the Mazza the Mazza Paolo Mazza they're going to increase the capacity to a whopping 16,000 yeah I mean it was thought. one of the best atmospheres in the league last year mm. and to be honest we have seen that when clubs either come up for the first time like Crotone going to the Ezio Shida was you know the atmosphere there was was magnificent and you could see I mean Spal who hadn't been in the league for close to half a century when they got back up back to back promotions yeah, obviously a full house, more or less every week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go for it. But they should play at the Renata Dell'Ada every week because they keep winning there. Right. Keep winning a million derbies as yeah. well against uh, Bologna, Bologna and, and now Parma mm. with that Antonucci goal. Well, there's so many things to talk about. Some really key games. Uh, one of which was Monday night's Roma Atalanta. Another was Fiorentina's extraordinary performance against Chievo, which is coming up in a bit. But Adam Sharp 
says, don't forget to big up Belotti's amazing goal and Sidigu's last-minute world-class save in what was a 2-2 draw into throwing away a two-goal lead. And given that we were among the many people saying they are the team that will challenge Juve, so far it's not working out for them at all. I mean, they had been proclaimed the the anti-Juve by the uh, by the sports papers in Italy, and, uh, and Spalletti, you know, after the Sassuolo game, was saying at the moment we're anti-Nessuno. We're you know we're we're, we're not uh, we're not a competition for anyone. Um, and to be honest, against Sassuolo they were awful, um, and they were I think um, Sassuolo's manager deserved to be outcoached Spalletti in that game. First half of this one. They were dominant. It wasn't a contest. Um, yeah, they were two 0 up. Torino hardly got a kick, and everything seemed to be going well in front of what fifty nine thousand at uh, at San Siro. A lot of a uh, lot of enthusiasm around the team, uh, notwithstanding the result the week before. Although there were banners up there saying just Mister No excuses, no words, run, fight. Let's get this season started. Mm. Um, but then in the, in the second half, and to be honest. You might know a bit more about this than than me, uh, Richard. But a lot, of the, a lot of the talk is about August football in terms of you know these players have been coming back in drips and drabs from the World Cup. You've got three Croats in that team: Vesalko, Brozovic, and Perisic. Who didn't only get to the World Cup final, but remember how they got to the World Cup final? All of their knockout games went to extra time, um, and. Yeah, in the second half, they just disappeared. And, and oh, so you think that rather than Walter Mazzari, former Inter and Watford <laughs> manager, uh, making wizard substitutions? Look, he, he made some good changes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, they played a little bit higher up the pitch in the second half. They were more courageous. He moved uh, Roberto Soriano's position. He pushed him up. So they were playing 3-4-3. So they were, mo- they were man for man against it, Inter's back three. And all of a sudden, were forcing into into mistakes. But as Spalletti said... The game turned ultimately on Samir Handanovic going walkabout. And yeah, that I think encouraged Torino. They then brought on Lajic, who started to pull some strings and got back into the game. But Inter could have won it at the end, were it not for Sidigu. Mm. Um, but yeah, their second half, they completely disappeared. I think partly because some of their key players are still still tired after the World Cup. And we yet to see Nyingalan start or even play. Um, and their other big signing, Kete Baldidiao, is, is coming on sort of as an impact sub, but that's it. It's still, we're still yet to see the kind of inter that has been put together in the transfer window. Early days. Well, in a second or two, let's talk about the extraordinary match that took place Monday night at the Stadio Olimpico, which ended up like this. Rome or Atalanta on Monday night, often an exciting fixture of this one. It certainly proved that on this occasion. Roma doing almost like a kind of medley of their Champions League form. First half, a bit like they were at Anfield against Liverpool in the semi-final, and then very much the second half, a Barcelona-style comeback after they'd managed to go 3-1 down. You've seen the, the Pastore goal, first of all. Ooh. No, beautiful finish. Absolutely yeah. beautiful finish. Meant every bit of it as well. The first time uh, I saw it, I needed three or four replays to figure out whether he, he actually went for that. Take a little bit pace off it. Gave Golini absolutely no chance. Because it's so languid. It's almost like he's walking and it hits mm. him. Mm. Mm. But he, he, despite the, you describe it well, languid, but he, he made it look quite graceful almost yeah. at the same time. Just absolutely. taking the pace off it. Connection so a, sweet, isn't well. it? Yeah, it's a back heel, everybody. If you haven't seen it, he's on the edge of the box and he just kind of strokes it home with his heel. It's it's it's, it's glorious. And what followed wasn't glorious for Roma <laughs> at all. Why, James? 
Uh, they were completely outplayed, uh, James. I mean, uh, Roma uh, allowed 16 shots in that first half, which is, I think, a record going back for 14 or 15 years. It was no contest. Atalanta won every tackle, won every header. And I think what was really surprising about this is when the, the teams came out, there was some uproar because it was clear that uh, Gasparini was prioritising Thursday's Europa League preliminary game, the playoff mm. against Copenhagen. Um, so we saw sort of seven changes. Eight, eight changes actually from the previous match. Yeah, and uh, a lot of new signings. Um, some some guys who'd actually never played for Atalanta before. So you had um, Zapata and uh, and Rigoni up front. And Rigoni looks amazing, doesn't he? Rigoni looked uh, looks very special. Caused Roma all kinds of problems. Zapata looked just, like he did as well, didn't he? he Zapata absolutely monstered Manalas. Mm. I mean, we talked about Manalas getting the equaliser and somewhat mm. redeeming himself. He had one of the worst games <laughs> I think I've seen in a Roma shirt, and that was a lot of that was down to Zapata because he just couldn't cope with him. Mm. Um, yeah, he absolutely dominated, and it's it's quite frightening actually thinking that Gasparini now has a kind of really physical front man who can score goals because Pitania um, over the last couple of years was able to pin centre-backs, hold up the play and lay off the ball to people like Papagonis, but he couldn't actually score. Was Zapata now can just floor some of the defenders and Di Francesco after the game was saying at halftime if I could I would have taken off seven or eight players right. was this before he went to hospital <laughs> so no, no this, he, he fractured his hand punching the dugout later in the game uh, this was actually when Roma had got to 3-3 mm. um, because it, it looked like while they could have got a winner so could Atalanta. All tactics just went out the window as they kind of started playing. Just Who did three... Roma finish with up front? Oh, it was incredible. They had Cengizunda, Dzeko, Justin Kluivert, um, Schick, Pastore. They were playing 3-2-5, something like that. It was just right. insane. Yeah. Italian football, eh? Yeah. They didn't have Alisson, of, of course. Mm. To what extent did Olsen's I mean, kept, performance kept, weigh on this? Kept being beaten at the, the same post. Um yeah, I, th- I think some of the defending in front of him didn't help him, uh, left him looking a little bit exposed. But um, one of the lines in the press afterwards is that they sold all their kind of sure things in uh, Alisson, Nyingalan and Strootman, and they bought a lot of hope, you know, in terms of, we talked about the kids, Clivert and that sort of thing. And Olsen getting into his, you know, what, late 20s, early 30s now, this should be his time to shine. But mm. not, not a lot of people convinced by him up until now. All right. Well, it's another Romanchi's project. So Milan are going to be Roma's next opponents. That's Friday night. That's a huge game at San Siro. But uh, on the subject of Atalanta, wouldn't it be great to have a former Atalanta player here in the studio with us to discuss La Dea? And they're, once again, extraordinary start to a season. I mean, first of all, is this form that they're showing right now, and the the performance against Roma, for example, is that down to the fact that because they're in the Europa League, they're they're just way ahead of everybody else in preparation? Not necessarily. I mean, you look at, um, in the Premier League, you look at Burnley, haven't necessarily transmitted the the, the form, um, even qualifying through various stages, but haven't managed to necessarily bring back their league form from last year. Uh, but as James said, when I saw the lineup for the, the Roma game, I, I was surprised that, it, that they were prioritising the, the Copenhagen game so much. I thought they've almost sacrificed this game, but obviously Gasperini knows that a few of these players that James has told us about uh, were ready to, to produce a performance. I was also surprised in the quotes um, before the first Copenhagen game just how important this game was for them, which is great to see. I, I do like when teams actually give Europe their, their full attention, especially a team like Atalanta, who it's not as if they're there every season. And they're not bored with it, definitely, aren't they? They had a, a good run last year. Amazing run last really year. Good. Yeah. yeah. 
and uh, and the fans crave it even back into what well, the, in the 90s when they got the cup winners cup semi-final they really enjoyed that it, it, still talk about it and still compared last year's uh, ventures to back then were you there when they were in the cup winners cup i wasn't playing was it early night what james will tell us what year it was it was 1992 accurate yeah 92 93 was it so i would have been an 11 year old in uh, in the pool i can sort of remain th- this team malines as they they call them that they, they played along the way which uh, i then where, where have they disappeared to it's actually they're Belgian not called malines side, yeah. they're actually called mechlin and that's why ah, i thought okay. they disappeared out of business but <laughs> That's what the Italians are, Malines with an S at the end. So, yeah, I, I remember it vaguely being at the club at the same time, but any of the build-up or being at any of the games, I, I, I can't remember doing that. But uh, I thought Gasparini, refreshing what it was to hear about someone talk about the Europa League in this manner, uh-huh. and clearly did prioritise it. He stressed how important it was before the nil-nil draw against Copenhagen, where apparently they battered them again Absolutely. and mm, did yeah. everything but score. Um, against Roma, he took no chances, changed seven or eight players, and then... Uh, left the others fresh for for, for Thursday night, so it looks including like Papu Gomez. Yeah, Thursday's mm-hmm. going to be huge away in Copenhagen. Richard, uh, you mentioned the run last year with the, of course, the phenomenal performances against uh, an Everton side not enjoying the best of seasons, but Leon, all sorts of other clubs. If it's fair to say, they're punching above their weight right now, Atlanta. How are they doing it so consistently? It has to be the manager. It really, I know they've always had a good organisation, a good structure, and a good consistency at boardroom level. But the manager, and last time I was on, we were talking about Gasparini, his, his ability to to make his teams play like teams. So almost uh, the sum of the parts, more important than the individuals within it. So interesting to see players that leave him or, or leave Atalanta, how they go on and do. Brian Cristante, of course, had mm. such a, a great time under Gasparini, who... Um, seemed to realise the promise of his early days at Milan that then went a um, little bit stale at Benfica and a couple of long moves in Serie A. So he, he is definitely someone who is very good at building teams, right from his Genoa times, maybe before then even. Perhaps didn't deal well with the superstars at Inter. Yeah, I mean, he made quite a pointed comment after this game because he was receiving a lot of praise from the from the, the studio and he was he was saying look I've had great players in my time and he named the players he had at Genoa so like Milito Motta but I've never had a great club and uh, I think what he was saying was that Inter at the time that he went there um, yes they had all the names the profile but at the time how they were run how they approached things not a great club Mm. Maybe you'll get that chance again one other day because the, the job he's doing at Atlanta is extraordinary. Um, Are Atlanta on their way to becoming a, a great club? If they can they build on these, or is is the kind of realta of Bergamo just one that they'll always be a provincial side? Yeah, I think they always will. But I don't think the club is is big enough for it, for it to grow any further. I got a really fanatic fan base, mm. um, always well followed. Even if they did get relegated in Serie B, the the curva behind the goal always very vocal and and always behind the team um, but I, I don't know if there's any I mean the stadium is will always be what it is the city well, they're, they're, they're now reinvesting all the money they got from that um, that team which they broke up when they sold Kessie Conti Gagliardini um, the first good Gasparini side and they've re- they're reinvesting that to actually refurbish the um, the Atleti Azzurri d'Italia um, catchy name isn't it <laughs> <laughs> what strikes me about them and, and again because um, you're involved in recruitment, this this is always impressive to me, is that they've almost got two teams now. Mm. Two teams that are as competitive as the other. There's no drop-off, for example, when, as we saw, they make eight changes. That comes from the manager, but it also comes from being smart in recruitment and finding Definitely. players that sit yeah. 
fit the manager's way of playing. Yeah, and Giovanni Sartori is excellent at mm. doing it. Um, once of Chievo, I yeah. think, when Chievo came through the leagues, and uh, uh, a very understated gentleman, very nice man, uh, out of the limelight, clearly, because he just leaves it up to the, the, the team and the players. The sort of guy that you'll see um, once a season in the most obscure... He wasn't in Zurich watching Grasshopper see him, but he's the type of guy that you would see in, in a game where you're thinking no one else will be here, and it's mm. like this... Giovanni Sartori, who does his travelling, which is not regular for a lot of the, the sporting directors in Italy, like to sit on the bench, some of them even, or, or like to be in the stand, the cameras, like, this is where I'll be pointed at me. Whereas he's completely the opposite. He goes out, watches games, knows players. Um, and I think Atalanta reap the benefits of that. We get loads of questions from people asking who we would advise them to take as an Italian side. Is there one reason you would say Atalanta? If one reason is the name. It's a standout yeah, name, nice, isn't it? It's quite, it's, Share uh, their emblem with Bournemouth as well. Absolutely. Importantly, <laughs> yeah. Importantly. I mean, a lot of the teams in Italy are named after the city, or when I mean, we're talking about Spal, which is another unique name. But Atalanta has got that unique, nice sounding, I, mm. I believe. Maybe I'm biased and just used to seeing it so, since I was a child. Atalanta being the Greek name for Diana, I think... Listeners, it's certainly, right. certainly yeah, a classical it? goddess. That's why they're known as La Dea, mm-hmm. as with, I guess, Hellas Verona. They were. Um, she a Greek runner? Is that a, a, a goddess of something to do with running? Was I that, think so that's why was, the emblem yeah. with the hair blowing. Her hair back. is certainly flowing in the right. wind. Yeah. Atalanta was a virgin huntress in Greek mythology. I'm pretty sure the equivalent of Diana. She had to run to hunt. So yeah, yeah. therefore the, the flowing locks, yeah. bow and arrow. All that stuff. Right. Should know this. Should I should have had a history lesson at eleven. Right. This also, is why you know, if you were going to pick up Atalanta as your team, you could go and yes, absolutely. You could go to Bergamo. Yeah, beautiful yeah. place. Wonderful. You might yeah. be trying to get to Milan, but uh, you could go to Bergamo. What, if you're flying with a certain <laughs> cheap airline. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's a, and it's a um, you know it's an exciting town. I mean, yeah, very, and, yeah, and and a good atmosphere at the stadiums as well. I, I mentioned a bit disparagingly about the st- uh, Stadio Tetrazzurri d'Italia, which I shouldn't do. It's the the first big stadium, I, a big stadium, Vertcoms I played in, but. Uh, it, it's it's a homely place and they've got a very good youth team as well. It's a it's a club that's run by the Percassi family very well. Um, so I think that if you support them today, they won't be out of business tomorrow. So stick with them. They'll have great times like they're having at the minute. Won't always be like this, as I mentioned. I think if Gasparini leaves, of course, it uh, depends on how they reinvest it, uh, the money and they've always had a decent youth team. So I think uh, you're in it for the long haul if you choose them. Also, I mean, this is, as you mentioned, James, it's a place that's not far away from Milan. People from Bergamo could support Inter and AC Milan if they chose, but instead they support Atalanta. And one of the reasons for that is Petcassi and people before that get to them very early. They send every newborn baby in Bergamo an Atalanta shirt or replica kit. So there you go. That's that's a beautiful initiative. That is it. That's a lovely gesture. Mm. Boys and girls. Boys and girls, of course. Yeah. Nice. Hey, biggest win of the weekend, 6-1 for Fiorentina over Chievo. Are Fiorentina back? Yes, La Viola, a club that has been through so much over the years. The Brady penalty that denied them a title, the Baggio transfer that sealed their hatred of Juventus, bankruptcy, Calciopoli... Cechi Gori, City of D. Last season, of course, most seriously, the tragic death of their captain, Davide Astori. This season, they've begun in remarkable fashion. There seems to be a real optimism again about La Viola. 
after their eighth place finish last time around. Uh, they've had an extraordinary long pre-season, two months or so, James. <laughs> what? Why? Well, because when uh, Milan initially got kicked out of Europe um, by UEFA, Fiorentina were readying themselves to take their place. Um, Atalanta were going to go straight into the, the group stages and Fiorentina were going to play the preliminaries. And as we've seen with, with Atalanta over the last few weeks, that involves playing three games um, to get to the playoff and then hopefully to the group stages. So they've been in training camp pretty much since June 26th. Yeah, they were raring to go uh, match day one, but um, you know their game got postponed after the the, the tragic uh, events of the Morandi Bridge in Genoa. In Genoa, well, so. all that bottled up energy had to go somewhere, mm. and uh, it went up Kievo. Yeah. Basically, this happened. <laughs> Nicola Milenkovic, palla che resta lì, calcio Pessella, e poi Gerson a porta vuota, mette in mezzo Simeone Benassi, di testa, trova il gol del 3-0, Benassi supera un avversario, poi va da Chiesa, Chiesa per il poker della Fiorentina, Federico Chiesa, cerca Benassi, tutto solo controlla Benassi, in area, tocco per Simeone, tra le gambe di Seculin, goleada della Fiorentina. 6-1, the final score there, Richard. Excitingly, Simeone with his dad in the stands watching. El Cholo. Yeah, I saw the images at the end of the game where um, it looks as if uh, Diego Simeone was slightly distracted at the beginning on his phone. But yeah. <laughs> uh, the rest of his family had uh, spotted him trying to wave up uh, at Pioli as well, trying to wave at, yeah. uh, at Simeone Senior. Uh, I like this Fiorentina team. I like them last season as well. I think right. they play a, a really interesting brand of football. Uh, sometimes a little bit vulnerable because they were almost too honest in trying to make the game a little bit expansive and then uh, could be picked off. But uh, a, a still, a decent season they had last time around. They've got some really interesting players. They've, they've tried to do it in a way of uh, sort of buying younger players with a resale value. I think that's um, fair to say. They did really well to hold on to Chiesa in Benassi. Uh, and Veritu when he comes back from suspension I really like Jordan Veritu I know he had a really rough time of it in uh, a really rough time of it he had a poor season when he was over with Aston Villa in England but not surprised at all to see him do really well in his first season of Serie A I think he's perfect for the league uh, if Piazza as well of course um, it should be an exciting outright signing I believe James mm. as well wasn't even a, a loan in the end is that right? I think yeah I think there's an obligation to buy obligation yeah. And uh, and with Simeone, of course, at mm. the, um, in that front three, yeah, results like the one, okay, Kievo, I think, could be a little bit uh, beyond the sell-by date in Serie A, perhaps a little bit uh, slow and vulnerable to a, a young, enterprising, attacking Fiorentina team. So it won't necessarily be 6-1 every week, but definitely a team who do want to play on the front foot and attack, and they've got some, some really interesting players. Mm. They've got such a history of interesting players. I think that's why a lot of people, I mean, the shirts have played a, a role in that as well. A lot of people think the Fiorentina jerseys are the of the 90s obviously not that one but the others the 7-up one yes. the Nintendo they're some of the most cherished yeah, yeah. Maglietta's I didn't talk about that I, I didn't like seeing the black shorts at the no weekend. me neither are they yeah. there to stay no Is I don't think so horrible. but I don't think there was much of a colour clash with what Kiev no, were wearing anyway no. so yeah but mm. uh, yeah their biggest win since uh, since 92 since 92 when yeah. they beat I think it was Ancona right yeah. okay good knowledge for a while under the Della Valles, it seemed like this was a club that was really building and building in the right way. A lot of plans for new stadium, training ground, all this kind of thing. And then that very much hit the buffers and the Della Valles have, to a degree, stepped down from their roles with the, the club. And it seemed almost like Fiorentina were, were in the doldrums a bit. Is there now upward momentum again? 
I think so. Um, I think this time last year, the Delhi Valleys were getting a lot of criticism because they essentially got rid of everybody and they slashed the wage bill. And I think the fans at that moment were calling for them to go. They kind of put the club up for sale, um, but weren't able to uh, attract a buyer. And they launched this kind of new project. They brought back their old sporting director, Pantaleo Corvino, who's very good principally at finding, you know, sort of hidden gems in the in the Balkans. And we've seen them put together an extremely young team. I think one of the things that not only galvanised uh, this group of players, but uh, but also the city and kind of reconnected them was that tragedy, which happened with Davide Astori. I think that uh, brought fans back to the stadium, reminded them just how much Fiorentina reflects Florentines and uh, and the, the civic kind of pride of that mm. of, of that particular part of Italy. Are those amazing scenes of the funeral, no, with the, the, the yeah tens of thousands on the street. And uh, a story's shirt uh, was was still hung up in the dressing room before the game against against Chievo. Um, Pioli was saying that he's with us every every day. They've obviously renamed the training ground after him and. They were really keen to acknowledge what Tomovic, the, mm. the Kievo defender, uh, did in that game. He scored Kievo's only goal, and then yeah, he was someone who used to play in defence with Fiorentina with Astori, and put up the the numbers one and three with his fingers in in memory of him. But I think that forced what was already a young team last year to grow up and mature in a hurry, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons why they doubled down in the transfer window and thought actually let's let's keep buying young players. And they've got the youngest team in Serie A, mm-hmm. average age of 23. The two oldest players in the, in, in the team are the two centre-backs, Petzela and Victor Hugo, are 27. Um, and the team that they put out against uh, against Kiev at the weekend was yeah the youngest in Europe's top five leagues after Lille. Right. Um, so, yeah, team that's 23. Uh, A that really point. exciting sort of front three there with Piazza, as you say, and, and, and uh, Simeone up the middle. What pace he's got. Yeah. And, and Chiesa out on, on the other flank. Exciting to have Simeone and Chiesa's sons there. Um, on the subject of sons, kind of a little bit random this, but we mentioned Ronaldo Jr. joining the uh, Juve under-9s. In recent weeks, you, you may have spotted Francesco Renzi, the, the uh, son of the, um, the former Italian premier, Matteo Renzi, has joined Bologna. Francesco is a, a, a forward. He's 17 years of age. So he's obviously pretty talented if he's, if he's yeah. you know, with them at, at that age. And do you know who else is playing with him? At Bologna, yeah, yeah, Paluca's son, Paluca's son, yeah. also a forward. Yeah, uh, he's a year younger, but yeah, probably in the same kind of. That would be what Primavera would that be, or is that? Yeah, a, no, that would Allievi. be uh, Primavera, late Allievi, Beretta, maybe. Okay, mm. right. Andrea Sotti, you remember Andrea Sotti? Not yeah. quite the superstar oh, yeah. of the people we're talking. His son's at Fiorentina. Fiorentina as well. yeah. He's meant okay. to be a, yeah. a really top player as well in the mm. making. Yeah. Right, it's exciting, isn't it? Anyway, so well, well, Fiorentina. I mean. Batigo, Edgemundo, Rui Costa. Who is your favourite Fiorentina player? Batistuta. Really? But yeah, I love that. Batistuta, Rui Costa. Era. Yeah. Um, probably couldn't pick between the two of them, I suppose. Bati, Batigo's celebrations as well just right. sort of trumped it. But Rui Costa, fantastic player then, underrated globally at that time. Um, and that was the Fiorentina team that, I don't know how close they got to the title end. They seemed to win every week and maybe They were run... a carnival away from actually winning the yeah, title. Edmundo, 98. <laughs> yeah. He had it in his contract that he was allowed to go home for the uh, real carnival. and uh, Left just as Baggio had torn his... his... Batistuta. A Batistuta, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Batistuta had just done, and I think he was leaving that day or the next day, and everyone assumed, well, you won't go now, Edmundo, yeah. you're our last hope. But nope. off he went. <laughs> <laughs> off he went. Ah, magnificent. Oh, Luca Toni. There's another Fiorentina legend mm. for you. Baggio. Baggio, of course. Yeah. Baggio. All right. Am I getting overexcited about them on the basis of one 6-1 victory? Or is there something actually happening there? 
I think I think what you'll find I think will be consistency and progression from last season. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it eighth place? Yeah, yep. it's going to be. I mean, the places above them were taken by teams that you'd still expect to be up there in mm. in one order or another. Um, no, you're you're not getting excited unnecessarily, depending on where your expectations are. I mean, I think they are going to be a, a really good, exciting team to watch with some young players that could progress and be sold on. And they say the Fiorentina fans won't be happy with it, but in the same vein that some of the the better players that you mentioned there have been. Well, on um, that, Rich, I mean, they you look at the goalkeeper market this summer mm. um, with Kepa, Allison, all these players going for Lafont. huge, and they've signed Lafont for mm. I think seven or eight million. Uh, he's really impressed in preseason. He's already got a load of top flight appearances under his belt since he was you know, a teenager. I think he's still a teenager. Well, I mean, the future. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're getting that yeah, kind of point. money for him. All right. Yeah. Sunday at five o'clock English time, uh, they'll be hosting Udinese. Other matches this weekend, we mentioned on Friday evening, Milan hosting Roma. Bologna up against Inter. Juventus have a trip to the Tardini to take on Parma on Saturday. Hmm. Parma's side who are struggling a little bit in these opening rounds. (laughs) Gervinho going up against Benucci and Chiellini. That was extraordinary. Gervinho. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his hair's held up remarkably well. For now, yeah. For now, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, well, that, that's all very exciting. And you've got Chelsea at the weekend, haven't you, Richard? Back in uh, in England, of course, yeah. yeah. We've got Saturday's Chelsea. Yeah. Will you be there for that or will you be? I will in... be. No, okay. no. Yeah. no. Yeah, I will, I will be uh, last week away um, scouting and this week watching uh, Pick and Choose. Them. Stanford Bridge away is a good one to be at. So nice. Good food. Okay, excellent. All right, well, we'll hear a bit more from you about that game in Thursday's Totally Football Show, running up all the uh, weekend's action in the Premier League and beyond. Meantime, that's it for this Golazzo. So many thanks, Richard, for coming by. Enjoyed it as always. Thank you, James. Thank you. And uh, many thanks as well to you, James Horncastle. And uh, you, listener, and for now, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other podcasts this season. The Totally Football League Show with Caroline Barker and the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. <laughs>